0: I certainly do. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to the book of Psalms. If you have the little outline we had last week, it was a lantern that was on display, sort of like this. There's some in the back if you need one. But it was listening and lighting the way to the next generation. I'm not going to throw this paper in the floor, I promise you. I can read pictures better than I can words, I think. But I introduced it last week about a blind man. Why would a blind man carry a lantern? Because he don't know where he's going, he keeps folks from stumbling over him. And that's important. But I took the word faith, F-A-I-T-H, and the first one is fervent. And it means to boil, to glow for God, a fire of excitement, faith set on fire, faith set on fire. Romans 12 is the scripture on the other side where it says we're supposed to be fervent in spirit. We're supposed to be alive, we're supposed to be excited about the things of God. And so easy sometimes to get weary and will-doing. If you're not careful, you'll find yourself faltering by the wayside, and other things excite you. What are you a fanatic about? Uh, I love, we talked about sports, you could be a fan for a sports team, you could be a fan for a certain uh, race car driver and all that, nothing wrong with that, but uh, how about being a fan for Jesus? A fanatic is somebody who's overindulged, over excited about somebody or something or some, some organization, and nobody's more important than Jesus Christ to be excited about, but he's pushed sometimes to the backdrop of our life, our conversation. Somewhere during the day of every day, if the Lord willing, there would be somebody you could talk to about the Lord, a good word for Jesus, say something that would be, be of interest to help you in their life, to reach out and touch somebody, the telephone commercial. So may God help us to be fervently involved in the work of the Lord. Tonight is letter A, the anointed, still get that ring, fellas. I'll switch over to this, and if it's not a problem, the word anointed. Everybody, anybody got their outline with? Them? If you don't, then raise your hand. Somebody can get you one. The word anointed it means the touch of God upon your life, and the, the, the lantern is the symbol of our entirety life. But to be anointed, the touch of God upon our life, to have an extra touch upon us, and I'm going to talk about that for just a moment. But when you go through it physically, anybody need one? Call? Raise your hand. Physically, have a touch of God upon your life. Mentally, have a touch of God upon your life. Emotionally, have a touch of God upon your emotions. Spiritually, have a touch of God upon your life spiritually. It's called sometimes in the Bible the unction of the Holy One. The old-time preachers you hear right here, guys. Raise your hand again, fellas. Three or four of you. There you go. The old-time preachers used to talk about the unction just to keep them held. held. i mean, get somebody to help you. I didn't know there's that many. I know, I'll just wait to get him passed out. You take the picture, put it in a frame, so you'll have it for an eternity. May thank Wanda for the water through Margaret tonight, right? So thank you, Margaret, for bringing the water. Then while they're doing that, turn to Psalms 92, Psalms 92, the Psalm book of the Bible. Let's turn to Psalms 92 for just a verse of Scripture before we talk more about the anointing of God. And let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to understand. Psalms 92. Go to verse 10 of chapter 92 of the book of Romans, the song, the book, of the, the song book of the Bible. Let's go back to verse one and just read verse one and two. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto Thy name, Most High, O Most High, to show forth Thy loving kindness in the morning and Thy faithfulness every night. Those are two great verses of Scripture. As for the Lord has made me glad, verse 4, through Thy work I will triumph in the works of Thy hands. O Lord, how great are Thy works, and Thy thoughts are very deep. Verse 7, when the wicked spring up as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. But Thou, O Lord, art most high forever. For to Thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, Thine enemies shall perish, all the workers of, the, of iniquity shall be scattered, but my horn shalt thou exalt, and thou shalt like the horn of a unicorn. And then a little phrase in verse, verse 10, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Let's say it together please. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Say it again. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. So it implies that oil has been there before. It says fresh oil, something new, something fresh. The Bible talks about the loving kindness and tender mercies of God are fresh every morning. David, writing Psalm 92 without a doubt, was praying for fresh oil upon his life. He was anointed three times publicly by the, Holy, by the power of the Spirit. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Father, give me clarity of speech tonight. I ask you in Jesus' name, clear my thoughts. Help me to be a blessing to our people. Lord, all of us need to be reminded of what I'm going to talk about tonight for just a few moments, and then we'll be dismissed and go to the house. I pray, God, you'll bless our upcoming revival. And Lord, we've had meeting after meeting for years, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, or sometimes a day. But God, the day of Pentecost was preceded by ten days of prayer. And one day, 3,000 souls were converted to the Lord Jesus. But there was that waiting upon the Lord, that prayer meeting preparing for that, praying for the anointing of God, even though they didn't understand it. But on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost come to dwell on the inside. And periodically and from time to time, we have the anointing, fresh anointing available to us in our lives, whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. May God help us to pray and ask for that anointing of God. And Lord, may we be sincere in all of our actions. And may it bring honor and glory. Glory to you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. Amen. May be seated. Title of the message tonight is Fresh Oil. Just two words Fresh Oil. That is a common belief, and without a doubt, throughout the Bible, they practice what is called the anointing with oil in Bible times. You find it in the Old Testament repeatedly uh, those who were anointed by uh, the prophet of God for particular service. And I mentioned David already, and I'll come back to him in just a second. But it's a time when I need to realize that to be anointed is to believe in a new vigor in my life. No matter how old you get, and I'm going to come back to that again in just a moment. No matter how old you get, you need the anointing of God in your life. And though you may not be able to say it as vigorously as you used to say, there still needs to be vigor in your life. It needs to be the availability of ourselves to God to say, Lord, here am I. I was writing on my notes this week, and I put down, I believe, it added vigor to our life. It's a symbol, when you talk about oil, of a renewed strength. And in my notes, I put, oh, Lord, I need that. Oh, Lord, I need that. Now, I'll turn back to Psalms 92 for just a second. Let's go back to that passage and look at verse 14 and 15. Psalms 92. And there's several things reminding me as, as I was praying today. I found a place where there's nothing I could see in front of me except a set of woods. I pulled my car up to the wood wooded area. You could see for a long distance because there was no leaves on the trees. I sat there in meditation, thinking about the scripture tonight, thinking about my life, thinking about the things of God. And I began to observe in the forest, there was a lot of trees. I could see I could probably see for a thousand feet, just through the, through the branches of some things on the other side of the woods. And I saw, as I sat there, I saw some great old big trees They about that round. And they were straight as they could be going up toward the heavens. They were shooting real high. I saw some little small trees about this, but they were the same way. They were straight as could be just about going up up, up this way. And when, no doubt, when the leaves are on them, they're probably a beautiful sight to behold. But then I began to look real closely. I saw, I saw a little tree. It was about that round. It was tilted over this way. It was like it was about to fall. The others were straight as an arrow. This was about to fall. And I began to think about all kinds of people. There's all kinds of individuals in the Christian battle, in the Christian journey. Some of us have been faithful for years, and some of us have been in the battle for a long time. That doesn't make us arriving yet. We all need fresh oil. No matter how long you live. And so in chapter 92, I began to meditate more on this passage today and read it several times. I went back to verse 12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. Well, they shall be fat. That doesn't mean physically. He's talking about spiritual nourishment, spiritual grace. They shall be fat and flourishing. In my notes to the side, verse 14 talks about the fact that they will be raised up, they'll be firm, and they'll be bringing forth fruit. They'll be fat and flourishing. When? In their old age. Old age varies in the people's lives. depends on how you raise what's whole. The old-timers, Adam lived to be, what, 963? Methuselah lived to be 900, what, 67 or 68 or something there. You start reading through the genealogy in the book of Genesis, they lived 800, 900, almost 1,000 years of age. And then it begins to diminish. And you get over to Moses. He lived to be 120. And God buried him on Mount Nebo. You begin to read the Patriots of Old and their wives. 110, 120, 175. I think it was Isaac when he died. But they begin to die. And then the flood came. And that mammoth task. And after the flood, ages seemed to be diminishing. Little by little, they began to get less and less. And uh, by the time the flood was over, um, men would live 80, 90 years and the average lifespan of man is three score and ten according to the book of Psalms when you get over that far the average lifespan the average lifespan back in the early Genesis was probably 700 and uh, then have all the children you could have and amazing, I mean just amazing uh, they were flourishing and flavoring in their old age but old age took a diminishing for some reason it could have been God's divine purpose and I'm sure it was and whatever his reasoning for that We don't live that long, but we will. You know, one of the reasons for the thousand years reign of Christ on the earth is to show man that man can live a thousand years on this earth. See, Methuselah lived in 960, I want to keep saying 67, 68, if I'm wrong, just maybe 69. Or 69, 68, 67, somewhere in there. He lived a long time. And he died. And, of course, then the flood came. Enoch was born, and the flood came. And they found that uh, all those years of living were now changing. So year by year, as the world began to digress and begin to function more and more, man became less and less as living long. I've heard several men recently say that they believe it is God's will for many to live to be 120. Now, whether they're right prophetically, I don't know. And trying to get a hold of the right, right diet, I guess, or the right food, etc. But they say, I've heard uh, even the owner of our town at one time said his goal was to live to be 120. He's about 100 now, isn't he? He's on his way, Mr. Murdoch, so I'm not sure if he's going to make 120. And there's some unsaved folks around the world who live past 100. So somewhere in there, the average, you take those behind that died early and those who died later, I think the average still comes up, and I've said this many times in preaching funerals, over 400 funerals, and when I total them up and divide them by the number of funerals I've had and get the average age, I keep up with the age of everybody dies. From the babies to the oldest, the oldest probably was 96, 97 years of age, and the last time I did it, I hadn't done it in several years, but it was 68.9. That's getting close to 70. And so the average lifespan is about 70, and uh, most of us, You get a little older, you read the obituary column. We were hooked up to all of the uh, funeral homes, and I guess you could be too, as far as they'll notify you when somebody dies. So I got ladies today, and I've got uh, uh, Whitley's the last couple of days, and uh, get uh, cabins funeral home, more Anyhow, whatever a funeral home it is, if you're hooked up to their phone system and their way of getting the message out, and I read a lot of obituaries. And sometimes I'll see a name, it rings a bell, I may know them. And I go in and read who they're married to, and when they died, and how many kids they had. Some of them, that's how you find out they died. It shows up on the obituary column. When I was younger, I used to read the comics. And now I read the obituary column. Not because I just enjoy reading the obituary column. I just realized one day it's going to be me. Thank God for the fact that we have a blessed promise that though we die, we shall live again. And we're going to live past a thousand years and eternity. We're going to live forever and ever, and sorrow no more, no more, no more aches and pains, no more troubles and trials, no more difficulties. We're going to arrive as one great palm tree, straight as the hair, once all over. Sometimes we bend, sometimes we bow. Sometimes the storms come and push is almost over. We haven't broke, been broke yet. See, if you break and they dig you up, get rid of you, the life is gone. As long as there's life there that little tree can be brought back forward by time and with labor and it can turn out to be a great mammoth tree down the road. So in our old age, we're not to give up. We're set to set the example. As a matter of fact, young people need an example. Young people, many of them are going opposite direction. We listened to Pensacola Christian College and Chapel today. Uh, their touring group was with us, and what a blessing they were in their testimonies and in their songs, and we enjoyed the session with them. And uh, what a blessing to hear some young people around the world that still want to serve God. But as older people, need to be an example to them and say, boy, look at my life. Paul said it to Timothy. Paul said it to the Romans. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, I think that's one of the greatest truths in all the world. You say, preacher, that's sort of a braggadocious statement. No, it's not. He said, let your light so shine before me that you may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. And Nancy, I'm not going to fall off the stage so don't be nervous. But the fact is, when you live your Christian life, you ought never to be ashamed to say, come follow me. See, what we usually say is, don't follow me because I'm not a very good example. Well, why are we here for? I'm supposed to be a good example. That doesn't mean you don't falter and fail along the way and don't make mistakes. But you don't magnify your failures. You magnify the victories that God gives to you. And the failure is because we took our eyes off the Lord and we failed to get fresh oil for the battle. Every season of our life we go through. I remember as an 18-year-old boy kneeling there in Kentucky, Louisiana, Kentucky, best I knew how. Got on my knees and asked the Lord to forgive me my waywardness, teach me what He wants me to know. I I stopped running when I was 18 years old. I ran for several years away from God from 16 to 18. I literally did not want to do the will of God what I'm doing today. I'd have been satisfied to do something else. I didn't want to do it. I was raised in a preacher's home. I saw a lot of heartaches, a lot of problems, a lot of difficulties. I didn't want to go that route. And I relived my life the last few months, of my, this the last few months, just reliving some good days, blessed days. I remember vividly of how God moved in my life. It never was the same after I was 18 years of age and kneeling there at Louisiana, Kentucky. It's a Bethel, back to Bethel place. It's back of solemn, solemn vows I made to God. And then it wasn't long until I was preaching regularly, and I was telling the kids today at Pensacola, I didn't pray about going to Bible college. My daddy had took some correspondence in college, and he said, James, you ought to go into college because it's changing the world. I said, if you think I should go, Dad, I'll go. I don't have any money. He says, well, we'll pray about it. I went to Bible college without any money, without just a prayer, stayed four years and graduated president of the senior class of our college. Uh, and shy, backward, timid. Somebody said, how'd you make it four years financially? I just say, there is a God. That's all I can say. I have no explanation. I can't explain it. I'm just saying, when the time to pay the bill, I was able to pay the bill. i not saying everybody can do that. Sometimes the Lord chastens us, and He could have done the same thing for me. But some way or another, I got through four years of Bible college. Started pastoring when I was a junior in, high, in college, and been at it ever since. And as I look back over those years, God has been so faithful to me, I have no room to complain. I have no room to gripe. I have no room to be frustrated with God. Oswald Chambers in his book said, when you start getting worried, you're frustrated without God. You're calculating your life without God. When we push God out and we try to figure it out, we'll get messed up. He said, why should I have to suffer? Why should you not suffer? Why should I not have to suffer for the cause of Christ if others fall through bloody Battles and through fiery trials and heartaches. Why should I not? And why should you not? I'd like to have a perfect body and a perfect life. And the only hope I've got is heaven. So as long as I've got this body, it's not going to be perfect. There's not too many perfect bodies around that I've met definitely in our church. None of you are perfect. I'm not perfect. I don't know if any God's children are perfect. But we can say I want to be an example to others. Young people need to look up at somebody and say, there goes a man of God. There's a woman of God. I said years ago, when my dad died, and he was 57 years of age, the one comment I made about my dad, I said, there lies a man of God. I I knew him well. We were very close. He was not right all the time. He sometimes made some mistakes. But when I traveled with my daddy as a young boy, when revival meetings, I sat in the shotgun seat. I rode all the time with him. We went to revival after revival with my daddy. I watched him day in and day out in his life, sometimes up, sometimes down, troubles and trials. But when the duration of his life was over, I could say about my dad, there lies a man of God. I said to Andrew, my son, when you come by and view my body, if that's the way it works out, and I die before you, I want you to come by you don't have to say, my daddy left me this or left me that, except if you say he left a testimony behind that he walked with God. I want my children and grandchildren to know that I was a man of God. Do I have to apologize sometimes? Yes, I do. Do I have to apologize to them sometimes? Yes, I do. When you get too big to apologize, you're too big, and so am I. When you think you don't know somebody, and sometimes a little child needs an apology from us, oh God, I'm so sorry that I've offended one of these little ones, and you should be better uh, that the weight be put around their neck and cast in the depths of the sea than to offend one of these little ones. Come follow me. Miss Carey, not follow me. She's always been a blessing to my I've known her all of her life, I guess, pretty close to it. And So many times, sometimes Carrie will text me a message or something and, and say, "Preacher, thanks for being an influence on my life. And I don't say that braggadociously. I want to be an influence on her life. So shape up. There you go. There you go. And you know, all of us need to be willing to shape up a little bit. We all need preaching too. You know what Dr. Howes used to teach us years ago? He said, you get full of the sermon, you preach to yourself, then go out and preach to your people. So if I'm going to preach on soul winning, I need to be practicing soul winning. If I'm going to preach on walking with God, I need to be reading and studying on walking with God. I don't need to try to practice what I ain't. I need to practice what I am. And then you need to practice what you are and say, come follow us. We're soldiers marching forward uh, to victory. We're on the winning side. And so by the good grace of God, we just need fresh oil. So I'm pleading a prayer before God in behalf of our revival. I want you to plead a prayer for our revival. It won't happen just because we say it. It's going to happen because somebody prayed and joined together and say, Dear God, send us a revival meeting in these days. It's not the man. It's the message. The Spirit of God can anoint all of us afresh and give us fresh oil. Fresh oil is a symbol of energy, a vigor, enthusiasm, loving what God loves and doing what God wants us to do. And not being ashamed of it, even in your old age. So as we get older, we ought to be a little better. And the problem with most of us, including me, sometime we get older we get more cantankerous. Wouldn't it be good if we could all sort of come to the end of our life with a good attitude? Wouldn't it be good if we come to the end of our life without frustrations and aggravation? And we don't practice what we preach. If he's got us all in the palm of his hand, he's never failed us or let us down. God's always been there. Do we believe it when we get old? We ought to believe it even more because we've been proven through the years. And may God help us to take the admonition. David said, anoint me with fresh oil and I'll close with this. Remember when he was anointed to be the king of Israel when he was a kid? I went down to the house of Jesse and Samuel did to find God said, go down to the house of Jesse and I'm going to anoint a king. He went through all the household of Jesse, all the boys, and he thought Eli would be the one, the first one, he was robust, the oldest one. Surely it's going to be him. Samuel thought he went through all the boys, and none of them received the okay from God. And finally Samuel said to Jesse, do you have any other boys? Yeah, I've got one little ruddy boy out here to take care of the pastor field. taking take care of the sheep. Samuel said, go get him. And they went over to get David and brought little David in. And David, the Bible said it was ruddy, ruddy young man and his beautiful complexion. I think he was a handsome young man, strong as an ox, and a warrior in his own right as a young man. But he needed something. And so Prophet Samuel took the oil. David, his young boy, just knelt down before the old prophet. Jesse's standing there amazed. He's pouring oil on my youngest son. And he anointed him to be the king of Israel. That was a preparation time because he didn't become king of Israel. For quite a while. But he killed a bear with his bare hands. With the Spirit of God upon him. He was able to slay slay a giant. I come to you in the name of the Lord. The anointing of God was on him. He even was able to kill a ferocious lion. He was able to do unusual things because the touch of God was upon his life. And so he was anointed to be the king. But he didn't become king for years later. And there was a second anointing on his life when he became the king of Judah when the tribe were split in Hebron, uh, and they wanted him to be the king. So he was anointed again to be the king of, the, of Judah, it was called. And so he was. And for seven years and six months, he remained as the king of Judah. But that's not the fulfillment of what he was preparing for. Preparation time was when Samuel first put oil on him. And then there come that next step in his life when he prepared to be the king of Judah and became the king for seven months, seven years and six months. And then later on, he became the king of all of Israel. When things began to dissipate and things began to be troubled, God brought it all together, and David was known the third time to be the king of Israel. And he said, oh, that I had fresh oil upon my life. I think that old man learned some valuable lessons coming through from childhood to the day he died. And when David lived in the king's palace, and things were great and things were wonderful as far as, Success, when he handed it down to Solomon, there was complete peace in the land. There was prosperity in the land. But David was mighty used of God because he was anointed. Now he's praying, Oh God, anoint me afresh. Would you do join with me tonight and pray that? Lord, just anoint me afresh. That some way, somehow, my life will be an influence on somebody. And when we get to heaven, it's not a matter of, brag, not a matter of saying who's the greatest because we'll all feel like John the Baptist. I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. And it doesn't matter about me. It doesn't matter about Him. I was talking to my nephew the other day, Scott, and he said, James, Uncle James, he says, I go to preach at a place I'm not trying to impress anybody. He says, I don't care if I even know my name when I get through. He says, I don't care how many braggadocious statements they make about my preaching. He says, "That doesn't matter. He says, if I don't magnify the Lord, if they never remember me, I want them to remember the message that I preached. Amen. I want to remember the sermon because I'm going to be dead and gone before long. It won't matter. And He says, I am nothing apart from God's grace. Amen. And that's the way you are. That's the way I am. And may we apply it to our life. God wants to use us all according to His grace and let God use us in these days of revival. So pray with me and pray for us that God will do unusual things in the last days and the next several days. Of our church. Father, I uh, probably rambled a little bit tonight, so forgive me for that. But just get the emphasis across about the tree needs to flourish. Sometimes the fig tree we heard about this past weekend, where the Lord had come by and was going to cut it down. And the man who took care of the vineyard said, Would you let me dung it and take care of it? And would you wait a year and maybe next year if it don't bring forth fruit, then I'll cut it down? Lord, we've lived another year. I wonder what you thought about our life last year. I wonder how we feel about our life tonight. And Lord, may some way along the way we realize that you've left us for another year. Ezekiel, the great prophet of God, the Bible says his wife died. It talked about her death. And then God said the next day, Ezekiel, I want you to go preach. While his wife was lying a corpse, Ezekiel was commanded to go preach. He doesn't call everybody to do that. But yet Ezekiel. Ezekiel looks around him while other folks were folks were dying. He says, I was left. I was left. Why was I left? While others die. There's a purpose for our life, and God knows that purpose. May we die on the firing line, may we live faithfully and fervently, and be quickened by the power of God, to have the wicks burning brightly, and may the Spirit be there and the anointing of God be upon our lives.